Welcome to the Business of You podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Gogos. This podcast is dedicated to helping you uncover how to turn your big idea into big business and grow your personal brand into the business of your dreams. Each week, I'll talk to founders of all kinds of businesses, exploring how they launched and grew their companies. Behind every successful business is an epic journey, one that can serve as a roadmap to help you grow yours. The Business of You is all about frank conversations and unique business wisdom for the entrepreneur. It's a chance to tune into the story behind the brand and retrace the path of those who walked this road before you, so you can pave your own road to success. Welcome to The Business of You. Welcome today to Sarah Aviram. She's a former Fortune 500 human resource and talent development leader. But what's most fascinating about her is after working remotely from 12 countries in 12 months in 2019, researching and living the future of work, she published her best-selling book called Remotivation, The Remote Worker's Ultimate Guide to Life-Changing Fulfillment. Today, Sarah is an international keynote speaker and workshop facilitator for organizations globally on the topics of remote work, hybrid teams, and change resilience. Tune in today if you're looking to hire a workforce that you want to motivate and instill your values in. Enjoy today's episode. Hello, Sarah Aviram. It's so nice to have you on the Business of You. How's your day going so far? It's going well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to dive into your story. You've had such an interesting few years, including launching your business in 2020, pandemic year, huh? Yeah, I did. Yeah, it was an interesting time to launch a business for sure. Well, we'd love to start out by hearing a little of your backstory and what inspired you to launch your own business and how did you go about it? Sure. So at the end of 2018, I was working as the director of talent development for a New York-based tech company. And I was researching the future talent trends, how our company could be competitive and find and recruit and retain the best talent. And in my research, one of the biggest topics that kept coming up was around remote work. So more and more companies were establishing themselves as fully distributed and more individuals wanted the freedom and flexibility to work from anywhere. So obviously this is you know, pre-COVID, this trend was, was really growing. And I mean, COVID certainly accelerated it by at least a decade or so. But um, long story short, I brought these trends to my boss at the time and we discussed that we really needed to understand better what are the opportunities and the challenges of being a remote worker if we felt like that is indeed a perk or a benefit we had to provide to talent in the future and offering them sort of remote work options. We wanted to better understand it. So I offered to be a guinea pig and, and be remote for a while. And I found out about this program actually that helps you work remotely from different countries around the world. So you bring the job that you can do remotely, but they organize your itinerary, a group of professionals that you can travel with, your co-working spaces, your housing accommodations. It was fantastic. Um, And so we decided that I would actually participate in this program. So two months later, I was on a one-way flight to Lima, Peru, and I worked in 2019 from 12 countries in 12 months. 
And it was, yeah, an, an incredible experience. Met a lot of different people from different walks of life, different professions and fields. And the common theme that I kept noticing was that so many remote workers thought that, you know, once they had that freedom and flexibility, that they would feel excited about their work. They'd be, feel more motivated to do it. But actually, in the short term, that was true. In the longer term, a lot of them still felt a bit stuck and unfulfilled. And it kind of goes back to that old adage of wherever you go, there you are. So if you don't like your job in Baltimore, you're not suddenly going to love it in Bali. And they needed to better understand you know, how they could be motivated by the work itself. So that's kind of where my journey started with this idea. Well, that's incredible. And um, what a great experience to be in 12 countries in 12 months. What, what did that pace feel like for you? You know what? It, looking back on it, it, I definitely would have done it more slowly, actually. I think, you know, four, uh, three or four countries in a year would have been better spending a few months in each. But at the, I knew what I was signing up for. And because we had a cohort of people we were traveling with, there was a consistency of some kind. At least we had a community. Um, and we got to see so many incredible places. So I wouldn't take it back. But if I were to do it again, or maybe a second time, I would definitely slow it down a bit, pick four places and really get to know them over a longer period of time. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Because I think of my own travels to new places and just right when you get to know where the grocery store is and the great cafes, right? You were kind of picking up and moving. Um, but you stayed with the same cohort of people for those 12 months. I did. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So we really became like a family. Yeah. I bet forced into so many new experiences together or, you know, mm -hmm. like being in them together. That's amazing. Yeah. It was great. So you, you finished your year abroad or, in the various places. Was that to 2020 when you wrapped up yes. or late 19? So I wrapped up, I arrived back in New York where I'm from March 1st of 2020, right? So the program started March 1st, 2019. I finished March 1st, 2020. So imagine the timing. Um, and towards the last six months of my trip is when I started really writing more about what I was understanding and discovering about the challenges and opportunities of remote workers. And at first it was just a blog. And then I said, I feel like I have a book here. Um, so I ended up finishing the first draft of what became my book in February of 2020. And then the whole world went remote. So it was kind of wild on the timing because I thought I was writing a book for a niche but growing population of remote workers, helping them understand how to feel more motivated and perform at their best regardless of where they're located. And to have, you know, how to have both the lifestyle they want as well as the kind of work that they want. Um, and then the whole world became remote. And <clears throat> I was working in an organization at the time that was impacted by, by COVID. And a few months later, I, you know, I'm in New York and they did massive layoffs and I was actually impacted. And I thought to myself, you know what, this is the time to help other organizations understand more of what I learned. I published my book in June of 2020, and I started my own business doing workshops and speaking engagements for companies on how to you know, motivate and engage the remote workers and help them perform at their best. Gosh, the timing is unbelievable. And just to think that you were basically being paid 
right? To kind of, to learn something firsthand that you then were able to write about and, and launch into a business. That's incredible. So the book comes out, but then what were some of the actions you took to launch the consulting company and how did you start attracting your first clients? So I'm very lucky to have worked in fantastic companies over my career in HR and talent development. And I started with my network. You know, I started with people I had worked with in previous organizations. I said, you know, here's what I'm up to. Here's, I'd love to tell you more about it. And, um, or if you could put me in touch with the right person at your organization that hires people for workshops or talks. Um, and that's kind of where I started. And I was so flattered that people were, you know, trying to help me out and put me in the right direction. And of course my content and what I spoke about was so relevant for the time. So it wasn't, you know, they didn't feel like they were doing me a grand favor, um, because it, it genuinely would be helpful for the organization. So it, you know, it was, it was great, but at, at the same time, you know, I wasn't, you know, a well-known brand. I hadn't established myself, um, as an, as a consultant. So, um, it, it became difficult too to reach out to people I didn't know where I hadn't established that credibility yet. They were kind of like, so many people are consultants in this world, you know? So I, I think starting with my network and people that knew me really helped me to get those initial wins under my belt and then be able to then go to people I didn't know and say, Hey, I've spoken at XYZ company, and here's the testimonial from them. I'd love to share with you what how I can potentially help your organization. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you were needed too. Uh, um, to your point, you know they they weren't really doing you a favor. They really needed you, which is which is again incredible timing. So you start with the companies you know, and then what were some of the? If we can just get in the weeds for a second, what were some of the actions you took upon yourself to establish yourself as a business owner? You know, aside from maybe filing for an LLC, but um, did you build a website next? Did you start with the logo? Like you already had a blog, so did you decide to kind of morph that into your your business yeah. site? Yeah, so I definitely started with the website and there's been probably two or three iterations of it since then. So it's come a long way. But yeah, definitely I felt like, okay, if I don't have a website, I don't have a business type of thing. That was at least in my head what I felt. So that was kind of my, you know, became my storefront. And I started to post a lot on social media. And that was that's also been an evolution because I started on Instagram. I kind of assumed that's where I should be because I at first was like, I don't know if I'm going to target individuals and create a course to help remote workers. And, and, you know, and my audience would be individual remote workers or if I'm targeting organizations. So at first I wasn't sure. And I was kind of like dabbling and on LinkedIn, on Instagram and on Facebook and things like that. After a few months, when I really decided I'm going to focus on corporations, organizations, and conferences, then I knew, okay, those people are on LinkedIn mostly, and I'd like to focus my content there. So, you know, these are things that you just learn over time for sure. And you learn like what kind of platform um, works for you too, kind of which are more image-based, which are more text-based or video-based. And so, you know, that's part of the learning. And what else did I do? I started to, well, my book obviously was a great marketing tool. 
I didn't write a book necessarily to become a, a career author or sell hundreds of thousands of books. Although while I would love to, you know, I knew that I, that that wasn't going to be my primary you know, moneymaker for my business, but the book was a great sort of business card or credibility tool to say, Hey, I just wrote this book. Um, I'd love to share more about it. And I think people are much more receptive when they feel that you have a a body of work that you've created that's unique and special and, and um, has sold well, uh, a book that has sold well. So that's also really beneficial to, to, to gain that credibility with someone that might not know you. Yeah, so true. I couldn't agree more. It really establishes your authority and starts to put your own thought leadership out there and opinions on a particular topic and people that may hire you or, you know, hire you for a keynote. I know you're a keynote speaker as well. Um, can easily see if they're aligned with your own points of view too. So that's a, a definitely a brilliant approach. So you get the website up and running, you start building the business and what were you doing on the book marketing front? Cause I know historically, uh, whether you self-published or published with a big, big company, a lot of the marketing is really up to the author. Yeah, it's true. It really is up to the author, like you said, regardless of whether you have an agent or you self-publish. So I was just telling anyone that would listen, I've written this book, here's what it's about. Uh, of course, initially it was a lot of people in my network that knew me and I was you know, asking them to spread the word and tell people they knew. And even in the book itself, on the last page, I say, you know, um, please help other people find this book and write a review on Amazon. Because as we know, what I found so interesting is, as we know, we make a lot of our purchasing decisions based on reviews, but so few of us actually write reviews ourselves. And I think about all the books I bought on Amazon over my lifetime, and I can't count on my one hand how many book reviews I've written. But yet, like if we see a book that has less than a certain amount of reviews or less than a certain amount of stars, we won't buy it. And so it was such like, oh, wow, you know, this isn't easy to, to get people to write reviews, even if they have really enjoyed the book. So it's, you know, reminding people and, and making that ask and even putting it in the book itself. And then I got lucky with the talks and speaking engagements I started to do. I would say, would you like to purchase books for the attendees or participants? So in some cases, an organization purchased books for everyone that attended. In some cases, they would say, we're purchasing uh, 20 books and the first 20 people that sign up for Sarah's workshop get a free copy of the book, um, whether it be a physical copy or a digital copy. So that helps as well. Mm -hmm. Oh, that that's great. With your, your business name, how did you go about figuring that out? Did you... It, it's under your um, your personal brand, right? That's right. I, I did go back and forth and I read a lot of different articles. Of should you come up with a unique name, like, you know, you know, the center of motivation or whatever it might be, or should you go with your personal name? And I think because I wanted to be a speaker, I felt that it was important that my brand was my name. And, you know, so I, I decided to go that way so that if people hire me, to do a speaking engagement. It's very clear who I am, where to find me. And, you know, my website is my first, you know, sarahaviram.com, first name, last name.com. So everything just kind of um, is easy to find. If at some point I develop my business into other products or services, perhaps I might change that. But for now, yeah, it's just yeah. my name. <laughs> 
Yeah, I know. That is a personal brand, someone who's been doing personal branding for over a decade now. That is exactly what I would have advised, um, especially as you were launching the book at the same time, because it's just natural for people to go to Google and search for your name if they want to find out more about you and if you offer other services versus... um, you know, some random title that might be hard for them to remember. So right, you certainly made all the right moves in establishing your business. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> so that was two years ago now, right? Um, fast forward to 2022. And what does your business look like day to day? Yeah, you know, it took, it takes time to build a business, as we all know. And sometimes it's easy for me to get frustrated. Oh, it's not moving fast enough. Or I wish I was doing this or that. But I feel like it is moving in the right direction. I'm getting more and more speaking engagements. I'm, I'm able to you know, charge more for my fees. I'm getting better at how I'm uh, communicating the information and the impact that I'm having. And I'm getting booked more often. So it, you know, it's a slow snowball roll effect for sure. And it's been going well so far. And finally live events are coming back because everything I did for two years was virtual. So that's different too. So I had my first live event in March for a company's global sales conference I did in in Orlando, Florida, which was, it was wild to be back in front of people again and on a stage with, you know, a hundred people in the audience. It was, uh, it was great. It was great to feel the energy of the crowd and, you know, get an immediate kind of reaction and understanding of if the content is resonating with them or not. Um, I, I, I do love virtual as well. I think I was able to make it really interesting and interactive through using polling and the chat box and virtual breakout rooms. And so I did it. I, I do think that uh, it, it's a great option as well. What I'm now exploring is actually hosting workshops in the metaverse. So I've been exploring different metaverse platforms and seeing which ones could be uh, or give participants a really unique experience without taking away from the content in any way. So there's there's a lot of interesting things out there and you know creating your own avatar and people virtually walk into the same room, attend the conference and can kind of get the networking experience that they might get live, but they're actually sitting in their own rooms. So more to come on that, but it's it's been interesting to explore that. Wow, that is interesting. I haven't heard of anybody doing that. Is that all through Facebook or are there other platforms that have Yeah, that? Uh, there's many platforms. Yeah, um, many platforms that are more advanced than Facebook actually um, at this time. So Facebook's kind of like just, just getting into it. Um, but there's a lot out there and there's some, want, some that actually specifically focus on educational experiences and training and development type of experiences. So I don't need to go into a whole metaverse like world where, you know, people can walk around for hours and do rock climb and do different things. Like, no, I want to, I want it to be kind of a contained experience as, as least for pilot and then kind of move on from there. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting. I'm curious to see how that area evolves for you. Um, you have spoken at some pretty impressive companies, right? Including uh, Google, American Express, Bank of America, and the list goes on. Were those speaking opportunities you were able to to connect with, to gain um, through your contacts, through your existing contacts, or was it through the book? What would you say helped you get your foot in the door? 
For those in particular, I would say most of those were uh, some sort of a friend of a friend or a contact or a colleague of a former person that kind of, you know, put me in touch. Um, but I've also gotten some great opportunities from my people reaching out to me for my website. I was on, for example, a podcast that was targeted to lawyers about a year ago. Uh, it was it felt very random at the time, but I was happy to participate. And a year after I participated on the podcast, a law firm reached out to me and ended up hiring me to do three workshops for their organization. So you never know where opportunities are going to come up from. You just got to keep getting the word out there about what you do. Um, I'm continuing to be in touch with people in my network, but it is nice to see that now new opportunities are coming up or someone that attended a conference I put on that didn't know me at the time, but was in the audience you know, now they are referring me to their organization or to a, to a colleague that works in a different organization. So that's starting to happen more, which is really nice. Yeah, that word of mouth. That's such a great way to grow. I've been reading a lot about the great resignation and, you know, how the fact that thousands of people are leaving their jobs per month. Uh, would love to hear from you some ideas on motivating your workforce. Yeah, so it is really an interesting time. More people are quitting their jobs in a in a contained amount of time than ever in recorded history since you know the government started recording you know voluntary quit rates. And there's a few reasons that that's been happening. You know, we just came out of a global pandemic. You know, some might say we're still in it, uh, but you know we're out of the kind of the the more difficult part. And a lot of people during that time really started reevaluating their lives and what's important to them and the role that they want work to play in their life. And a lot of them were faced with their own mortality in a way, if you think about it, or that of their friends or colleagues. And so it really made them think like, is this work? Is this work I'm doing what I really want to be doing? Is this how I want to spend my time? So that was one strong thing that's happening. Another thing is them realizing that, wow, I can have the, this kind of freedom and flexibility. I don't have to commute two hours to an office every day. I don't need to be micromanaged. I can get a lot of work done and still have time for my children or to exercise or things like that. So that's a big thing that's changing, especially you know if some companies now are asking people to come back to the office, there's a lot of resistance to that. Um, and another interesting reason is you know, during the pandemic, a lot of people didn't spend money. They were not going on vacations. They were not going out as much. So a lot of people saved a little nest egg and that combined with this sort of reevaluation of their lives, they started to think, well, maybe I should start that business I've always wanted to start, or maybe I can just take time off and not work for a little while before I try something new. So that's also contributing to the reasons people are quitting. But what's interesting now is the studies are starting to come up that so many people are regretting that decision to to quit their jobs and and, and go to a different company, especially. And a lot of that is because it's this short-term thinking of like, I just have felt so like this sense of uncertainty and powerlessness over the past two years. I'm going to make a change. I'm going to do something about it. And so they make this decision to leave their company and try something new. And maybe they haven't always, they didn't really think through all the sort of what would make me happier and what kind of environment would I thrive in and what kind of skills do I want to 
develop and experiences do I want to have? And what kind of impact do I want to have? All those types of things. So they haven't always fully thought through what they want to do next. They kind of just wanted that change. And so they're starting to experience like, oh, well, grass isn't always a greener type of thing. And maybe I could have tried something new in my past organization where they know me and I built credibility and trust and relationships. And maybe they would have let me try something new, but I never asked, you know? And so that's a little bit of what's starting to come up with people. And so um, I think it's really important that people are asking them those kinds of deep questions, but that before they make a drastic change that they answer them and they figure out, okay, what, what is the next best move? Yeah, no, it's uh, so, so fascinating to realize that the grass is not greener on the other side and understandable too, because people have left a situation where there was minimal risk, um, either if they've got started their own thing or gone into someone else's organization, there still is risk to being the low man on the totem pole, right? Um, or starting your own thing. But I'm happy to hear that people are experimenting with it. And, you know, I I spoke with someone earlier today that was saying the workforce, they expect they left their job that they had been at for four years, expecting to get another full-time job rather quickly. But they also ended up putting up their own consulting shingle and, um, and really growing, you know, fairly quickly because of the type of work that she does in the, in the, in the industry that she does much like yourself. So what would you advise to people that have left and are regretting that? What would you advise to them that they do? Look, sometimes it does take time to, to understand, you know, the benefits of your new organization to make those relationships and connections and to, and to really consider the fact that you may have started at your new organization as a remote employee and haven't really met anyone in person yet. So there's a there's a lot of differences in joining a new organization during this time. There's a, a ramp up period. So I think, you know, in one side of it, you, you can't jump, you might not be ready to jump ship yet just because you don't think it's exactly what you wanted right away. Sometimes things take time to develop, you find your way, you build your relationships and you find your the opportunities for you to really contribute to an organization. Um, and, but I would say that regardless of whether you regret it or not to really start to ask yourself the reasons, you know, why did I make the move? What was I hoping to achieve here? What would make me happier? So in my, in my book, I talk about kind of the six main drivers of our decisions around our career. And, so I would recommend that people ask themselves a question that aligns with each of these. So I'll explain that. So the first one, the first kind of driver of our career decisions and motivation is, is our relationship to money, right? And so money is one of the key deciding factors in our decisions around our career, you know, and it's like, oh, we don't like to talk about it. And it's so taboo, but it's like driving so many of us to make decisions and there's nothing wrong with that. But we, um, a lot of times overestimate um, that the positive impacts or that money might have, of the, you know, and act at the end of the day, a lot of people um, find themselves, you know, in a job that maybe pays them $20,000 more, but they're 20% less happy because that really wasn't the thing that they needed to feel more motivated and happier at work. Um, so really to ask yourself, like, what are the, what is this like 
economic pressure I'm feeling or pressure to earn a certain amount or to have a certain salary. And at the end of the day, is that really what's going to make me happy or not? So really being honest with yourself about the money component. Then there's the identity piece. So the identity piece is really like, um, is this is about the emotional pressure. It's about like what I feel like I should be doing or I'm expected to do or a, a title or company I thought I would be at by this age or this stage in my career. And so really like taking those shoulds away, like I should be here and really thinking like, what do I want? You know, what would actually make me happier and more fulfilled? Um, so we covered money identity, then routines. So routines is kind of like we get um, into the sort of momentum and inertia of doing the same thing over and over again. And there is a comfort and security and a knowing in that. And sometimes it's really hard for us to kind of um, shake up the way we do things and to manage change. And so for some people, they make either these drastic decisions or they just stay put because they're so afraid of change. But also these incremental little differences and decisions can add up to like really um, impactful change. So I would say, look at the kind of your habits, your routines, the way you do your work, the kinds of conversations you're having, and what little tweaks can you make that could feel like change without, you know, being too drastic or without doing anything. Um, so that's routines. And then we have, um, we have growth. So growth is what are the skills you want to develop and experiences you want to have? And really asking yourself those questions. Um, impact is, you know, what kind of value do you want to bring to your organization? Do you have the context to understand the value you're bringing? Do you get feedback? Do you ask for input? Um, those kinds of things. And then finally, joy. So joy is when you love the work itself. The work itself is its own reward. You feel energized and excited by it. And, and um, it's important to think not just about what you're good at, but what kind of work energizes you. Because those two things could be different. So what kind of work gives you energy? What excites you? And what do you want to do more of? And so I think if you can ask yourself questions in each of these six categories, you'll have a much better understanding of what you want to do next. Those are, are um, great pillars to really evaluate a move within. I think you've hit on really the just the hottest buttons that someone should consider before moving on. What would be your advice to an employer to retain members of their workforce, especially ones that, you know, they feel are extremely valuable and that employee might come to them trying to quit. What do you advise the employer to do? Well, first I advise employers to get ahead of potential people coming and saying they want to quit. And so I recommend what they call a stay interview. So we've heard of exit interviews, right? Which are the interviews you give once someone tells you they're leaving the organization, you find out, okay, why are you leaving? What could we have done better? But, and that's great information to have, and we should continue to do that, but it's also a little bit late. We want to do stay interviews. You know, what, what is keeping you here right now? What is exciting about working at this company and what could we be doing better? What would, you know, how could we help you get opportunities that would make you stay and continue to develop? And what are you excited about? So I think really getting ahead of it, you know, it's interesting. I, I spoke to an HR manager once that I encouraged to do these kind of stay interviews. And she said, but what if uh, an employee tells us they want a specific opportunity and we just can't give it to them? Like they can't have that here. And I say, 
But guess what? If you're not having these conversations, they're going to assume that you can't give it to them and they're just going to leave anyway. And so let's get ahead of it and let's have an honest conversation. Maybe an opportunity could be created for that person. Or if it's the case that, you know what, this person has sort of hit their peak at a company or they've been here for 10 years and it's time for them to move on to something else, let's help them leave gracefully. Let's you know, help them to be an incredible brand ambassador for the company once they leave and say, oh my gosh, I had the most fantastic, you know, experience working at this company and they helped me find a new opportunity. And, you know, I would recommend them to someone else. So people can leave your company and be your greatest brand ambassadors. And so we need to, you know, let them leave in that way and help them to find something new. And a big trend is also what they call the boomerang employee, an employee that comes back after they've had an experience somewhere else. And that is fantastic because oftentimes they need a different experience or maybe even working in a different industry to gain knowledge that they can then bring back to the organization and really contribute in a different way. And if both parties, you know, have parted on good terms, you know, and we leave the door open for those employees to come back, that can be hugely beneficial to an organization. Yeah, absolutely. My husband, I didn't realize there was a term for it, but my husband was actually a boomerang employee and he had worked at the same company for right around 20 years and was just feeling that itch to experience something new. But another, so he left for four years, but another huge benefit to him coming back was he really increased his salary the second time, you know, when he went back into the organization because of the experience he had gained. And, um, it wouldn't have happened, you know, had he stayed there in those four years, that salary increase probably wouldn't have been at the level it was had he not left and come back. So it uh, could be another benefit. Yeah. yeah, never know. Nope, you don't. Well, this has been wonderful advice. I love your your six pillars of money, identity, routine, growth, impact, and joy to evaluating, you know, for an employee, whether they want to leave or not. And um, the stay interview is certainly fascinating as well, as well um, in addition to being in a boomerang employee. Um, what would you say to people who are, who are a boomerang employee? What do you think is a good way to start the conversation if they, or may become a boomerang employee? How should they approach the conversation with a former employer? Yeah, they can say, they can check in with them and say, here's what I've been up to at such and such company. Here are the skills and experiences I've had. And I'm interested in seeing how I can, you know, bring back all these new skills and knowledge to your organization and take it to the next level, really make it sound like a positive thing. I don't think anyone should be embarrassed or shame. This is a very common thing that happens. And, you know, a lot of times it does take going somewhere else to, realize, oh, I love that prior company. And maybe it's not that you've had a bad experience at the second company, but you know, you realize, oh, I now can make that former company in which I had such great relationships and I love their product or I love their vision and mission, and I can now make it even better. And so I think really just coming at it with a positive mindset and from a contribution standpoint, I think any person in that former company would be you know, happy to hear from you if you parted on good terms. Absolutely. Always best to leave on good terms. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
Well, Sarah, this has been a wealth of information. It's been so great to hear from you. What are the best places for people who may want to hire you to consult for their organization or hire you as a keynote? Where's the best place for them to learn more about you and, and reach out to you? Yeah, thanks. They can go to my website, sarahaviram.com. They can find me on LinkedIn on the same name and check out my book, Remotivation, The Remote Worker's Ultimate Guide to Life-Changing Fulfillment on Amazon. Excellent title too. Well done. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you so much. This is great. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Business of You. If you found a little dose of inspiration or learned something new, please leave a review and share it with a friend or even two. Interested in building your brand and business? Tune in next time to the Business of You podcast. And remember, there's only one you. You're the biggest differentiator your business has. Until next time, friends.